0: The puzzling and bizarre case of Martha Moxley. Teenage girls, talk about murder.
1: She was found the next morning dead, deemed to death of a golf club. She had been murdered. We'll start off with some background information of the case. Who is Martha Moxley? Well, she's the person who died, but in 1975, she was a 15-year-old girl who lived in Greenwich, Connecticut, a very well-off town, and she lived in a gated neighborhood, Belhaven, that was known for being very safe. She had multiple friends, including two boys related to the Kennedy family, the Skakel boys.
0: Thomas and Michael were nephews of Ethel Skakel and Robert F. Kennedy, the brother to President John F. Kennedy. The Moxley family lived just 150 yards from the Skakel family house. So, Martha became very close with both boys and even received advancements from Thomas Skakel. The night before Halloween was known as Mischief Night, where teens and Greenwich would go around pranking people and a papering houses. Nothing more serious than that. But this all changed on Mischief Night of 1975
1: martha was last seen alive at the Skakel house walking outside to a bush with thomas skakel she was found the next morning dead deemed to death with a golf club she had been murdered since martha was murdered there is of course a murderer there are many suspects but the main suspect is michael skakel one of martha's friends who was also 15 at the time of the murder the golf club used to beat martha to death was traced back to the Skakel family collection, which is something that links him to the crime. But what makes him most suspicious to people is his alleged confessions, which can be quite compelling to me and to other significant people, including Marfa's mother. This case spans over a long period of time, and there are a lot of details, so we can't go into every detail, but the main timeline of it is Michael Skakel was a free man for 20 years, despite the fact that many people thought he was guilty until the case was re-examined because of attention brought to it by a book written by Mark Firm, a Los Angeles detective who was a part of the O.J. Simpson case. And after this, he was found guilty. But even later, decades later, he was found not guilty again because they re-examined the case and that There was no physical evidence linking him to the crime and that during his original trial, he wasn't represented properly. So as of now, it's unsolved and he's a free man.
0: On the other hand, there is a documentary called 48 Hours that goes in defense for Michael Skakel. Michael's cousin, who was also a Kennedy, wrote a book saying it could have been two out-of-towners, but these claims have been dismissed by Martha Moxley's mother, who said, we knew Michael had done this, absolutely no doubt, and they are largely seen as unsubstantial. Based on the source Crime News, Thomas Skakel was another main suspect in the Martha Moxley case. And he was even believed to be the killer for the first 10 years of this case. One of the reasons is due to how he admitted lying in the interview he had with the police and because he was the last one seen with Martha. Thomas claims that he had nothing to do with the murder of Martha Moxley and because there is no clear evidence tying him to the case, he is innocent and has never been charged.
1: So now that we've gone into a bit of background information, I think we should discuss it a little bit. Does that sound good? Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, so just starting off with why we were interested in this case and what it was like when we first learned about it. Um, we thought it was a very clear-cut case where some girl was just murdered by
0: a rich kid. Yeah, I feel like that is, but then when we learned more about it and learned about all this background information, we learned that the case has multiple complicated sides that honestly make it impossible to find out who the actual murderer is.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, Michael Skakel, he's very suspicious, you know, the alleged confessions, they're alleged confessions, yeah. right? And he was convicted because people thought he was so suspicious. But,
0: but then I also, mean... Thomas was the last one to actually be seen. Yeah, yeah. With Martha.
1: Exactly, but with either of them, there's no actual physical evidence. Yeah. That's what makes it so hard. Because, you know, I want to say Michael Skickle is a murderer because it makes sense. It makes a lot of
0: sense. But we really can't prove it. And I guess that's what the court case was kind of going with when they allegedly made him innocent at the end because Mm -hmm. they didn't have any substantial evidence to be like, you are the murderer.
1: Yeah. So even if we think of him as the murderer, I do respect the court's decision to let him free. Even if it seems like a bit of an odd ending. After learning about this, you know... It feels like we were looking at it with a biased perspective. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that we think just because someone is rich and all that, like, they have, like, the resources to do different things. And Mm -hmm. I think that also, like, when he was going in, like, doing, like, in the very beginning, like, the case went on for, like, 20 years Mm -hmm. without them actually accusing anyone. Yeah. And I think that also what helped Michael at that point was his wealth. Yeah. And his, like, identity, you know, of being a Kennedy and what that really Mm -hmm. meant.
1: Yeah, but then, like, we feel that way because it might be true, though. Mm -hmm. She was probably murdered by one of them. Yeah. But we just can't prove it. Mm -hmm. You know, so we look at it and we're like, oh, we're biased, but also we're probably not biased because they probably did kill her. But we can't prove it. That's the issue. So now I think we're going to transition into an interview with Todd Harch, who is from the town of Greenwich, Connecticut, and was alive during the time of the murder and got to grow up with just how it affected the town
0: yeah i think it was very interesting to get a point of view from the someone from the case that was actually there when Mm -hmm. it happened
1: yeah he was kind of young when it happened but also he lived in the town
0: after it happened Mm -hmm.
1: and the case is really long yeah so he was alive for a long time a part of it yeah if that makes
0: sense so let's go to the interview
1: So can you tell us a bit about what it was like when the case first happened, what you remember?
2: You know, I was too young at the time to really think about it much. You know, I heard about it and uh, then moved on to other things. But it stayed in the mind of the town and people in the town for a long time, especially because no one was charged for many years and because it was a relatively prosperous uh, a well known family, and some of the suspects were well connected, so that uh you know it it seemed like something that that was on the mind of the town for a long time, and I personally had connections to some of the the people involved, so that I actually went to school with the brother of one of the people who ended up being a suspect and i um was at a school where one of the other suspects was a teacher.
1: Mm-hmm. So what kind of a town was Greenwich? Like, why did the murder happen there? That kind of thing? I don't know if that makes sense. But...
2: Well, I think why it could have happened there was that there were some wealthy people who were not very good parents. And um, especially the one family that was the the most involved, it seems like, um, didn't do a very good job of taking care of their children. And um, that was relatively common in the town, that there were a lot of wealthy families where the parents were not very involved with their children's lives, or at least not as involved as they should have been. Um, And where there was a, oh, I don't know, a reliance on, nannies and tutors and things like that which isn't bad in itself but they're never going to be as good as parents at at uh sort of being there for their for their kids
1: yeah that makes sense um what makes this case stand out like why do you still remember it what made you bring it up to me
2: well there's something about a teenager being murdered that always stood out to me. I mean, someone who wasn't that much older than I was. Uh, and then those personal connections, you know, that I actually knew, people in the family of the some of the suspects. Um, but then also because it was unsolved. I mean, you know, most murder cases at least have someone charged, and for many years no one was even charged with a crime. Uh, so it was a mystery that, in Greenwich at least, kept coming up. I mean, every few years there'd be articles in the paper and, you know, district attorneys or whoever would say, you know, we're still investigating. So it was on the minds of the town, you know, for a long time. Now, I forget exactly when um, Skakel was finally charged, but for many years before then, there was all sorts of speculation about, you know, who did it and why. And, um, so it was something that was, that was part of the town.
1: Do you think there was probably in the outcome of the case, not just like that they were wealthy and they had fame, but could that have had the opposite effect too, you know?
2: Sure, I mean, it definitely attracted more attention to the case, it made people pay more attention. And I think um, at first, being from a prominent family protected the Skakels because no one really wanted to mess with them. But later on, when nothing had happened, it almost was the opposite. So that, you know, the authorities, uh, police and district attorney or whoever it was who eventually charged them, um, probably felt bad. Like, you know, have we been unfair uh, because we haven't charged someone where there is some evidence? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so their fame was sort of like a double-edged sword. It made, it made people interested in the case.
1: Yeah, that's what I find interesting about it, how it's complicated like that. Like, it goes both ways in terms of their wealth and fame.
2: Yeah, like, if if they weren't from Greenwich, and they weren't connected to the Kennedy family, I don't think there would be half the interest. Mm -hmm. I don't think there would be one-tenth the interest. So the very things that um, made the Skakels, uh, you know, safe for a while kept the interest going in the case Mm
1: -hmm. so what does this case like mean what does it prove after all this time after he went to jail for a while he got released and it's so complicated we still know who did it do you think there's any like meaning to be found in it
2: sort of the the unfairness issues the justice issues that you know these these suspects were not charged because they were wealthy that's wrong if there really was evidence, they should have been charged. Uh, but then it's also wrong to single out people for a very serious charge like murder just because they're wealthy. And that seems to have happened too.
1: Yeah. Um, I think about the cases, so it's unsolved. We can't make a claim on it. And like regardless of their welfare status, we have to say it's unsolved, even if, like, personally, you think you know who the murderer is. And, like, it's not as simple as just a rich kid murdered a girl, you know? Well, thank you so much for talking to us. Um, I learned a lot. It was just interesting to talk about this case because it was interesting and you had a lot of good insights. So thank you.
2: Thanks, Evie. It was my pleasure to be here. <laughs> I'm a big believer in the pods.
1: In the pod? Wow, thank you. I I
2: hope that in the future you'll consider me a friend of the pod. Of the pod?
1: I'm sure the pods are big fans themselves.
0: Wow, what a great interview. I think that Dr. Hart really hit on the points of how complicated and long-lasting this case is and how it truly did affect people living in Greenwich, including him. You know, it's more than a girl getting murdered. A 15-year-old girl getting murdered. Someone our age getting murdered.
1: Yeah. You know, you think about it, it's all these details, who did it, why, mm-hmm. but then you forget this was a real person, this was a real community that yeah. was affected.
0: I know. Like, think about, like, all of her friends, right? She's someone who's literally our age, and imagine all of her friends going through that, all of her family. Like, mm-hmm. it's so sad. Yeah.
1: If I died, I bet you'd be sad.
0: Yeah, very possibly likely.
1: Okay. But, you know, we learned that from listening to him, Uh so I think it was very valuable. In conclusion, what we learned and what we want you to get out of this podcast is that the Martha Moxley murder case is very complicated. There's multiple sides, multiple things that could have happened, and that makes it really impossible to find an answer to the question of who the murderer is. So at the end of the day, it is unsolved, and we can't find an answer. Even if we think we know who did it. Like, I think Michael Fickle did it. I think Michael did it, too. But if I was on a jury in court, I would say he's innocent because there's no physical evidence. Yeah. So that's what we learned from this. We hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you have a great day.
0: See you next time time on Teenage teenage Girls Talk About murder. Murder.